Welcome to Fam Room Discussions, where I open up my fam room to talk about the week's lessons from Come Follow Me. I'm not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I'm just an average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. Discussing Come Follow Me with others helps me in my conversion. I hope you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing your insights. Without further ado, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 18, following along with I Am the Good Shepherd, John chapter 7 through 10. I I had so many thoughts while I was reading this lesson, and I was writing down a ton of notes, and as I was doing that, I realized that I was, as I was preparing for this podcast, I realized I was like in real danger of kind of harming harming the spiritual quality of this discussion by by kind of losing focus and going in so many directions. It's really tough for me to narrow. It's really tough for me to not get so excited about like a thousand different thoughts and be like, oh, and this and this and this. Um, but something I've been learning as I've been, you know, observing observing teachings in, you know, Sunday school and during sacrament and then even just listening on my own podcast and kind of critiquing myself is that um, you have a much better spiritual discussion and I think the spirit's able to be there stronger when you're able to narrow and focus those thoughts. Um, so I'm going to do my best to do that here. And I just am preemptively asking for forgiveness. If I miss the mark, I am working on it. It's something I'm practicing, but um, I really did get super stoked about just all the things I picked up on in this lesson. And then it was tough for me to start like being like, okay, let's just, Keep it on these kind of main points. So speaking of main points, let's get into the introduction. So it says, although Jesus Christ came to bring peace and goodwill toward men, there was a division among the people because of him. People who witnessed the same events came to very different conclusions about who Jesus was. Some concluded he is a good man, while others said he deceiveth the people. When he healed the blind man on the Sabbath, some insisted this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day while others asked, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? Yet despite all the confusion, those who search for truth recognize the power in his words, for never man spake like this man. When the Jews asked Jesus to tell us plainly whether he was the Christ, he revealed a principle that can help us distinguish truth from error. My sheep hear my voice, he said, and I know them, and they follow me. That, uh, that last verse We'll talk about this some more, but that hit my um, that hit my spirit hard and brought up a bunch of questions. As I was thinking about, you know, as all these people are trying to figure out who is the Christ, it opened up a bunch of questions that I asked myself of like, how will I recognize him uh, when I see him? How will I know? And how do I recognize his his uh, disciples and his servants now? What keys have I learned as part of Revelation and what truths have I been able to understand? And on and on and on. I, I kind of went down this rabbit hole of asking all these questions. So in this lesson, in section one, it says, as I live the truths taught by Jesus Christ, I will come to know if they are true. In section two, it says the Savior's mercy is available to all. There's one line in here that I just, I can't skip over. And I love, it goes through uh, and it says, Elder Del G. Renlund said, Surely the Savior did not condone adultery, but he also did not condemn the woman. He encouraged her to reform her life. She was motivated to change because of his compassion and mercy. 
that principle is true for us. We have changed because of that very same thing. And we can help others change by showing and emulating those same principles. Then in section three, it says, if we have faith, God can manifest himself in our afflictions. And so this is the first part I want to talk about. Um, I haven't organized how I wanted to do this, so we're just kind of kind of figure it out as we go. But I know that in the first three verses, um, I did have a kind of a thought here. It says, in it, so this is chapter nine, verse one, two, and three. And G- as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And I want to, this is just something I had been thinking about. Again, I don't, this isn't necessarily a statement of fact. Rather, I just been pointing out from context, Christ doesn't deny the possibility that these afflictions, this affliction of blindness is because of, you know, this man's sin or his parents. He doesn't deny that. And I believe that the Jews, um, you know, historically had believed that typically sin came because of either the actions of the individual or the actions of the parents or, or you know, some action in the pre-mortal life that had led to those afflictions in this life. Um I say I believe that because I, I'm harking back to what I think was a either seminary or institute class where we talked about that. I don't actually have anything to point to there. Um, but Christ doesn't deny that this type of affliction could be based off of either personal uh, actions or those of the parents. But he does say instead he provides an additional third truth, right, which he knew because of the gift of discernment, but said that it was actually because the works of God needed to be made manifest. Then in verse six, it says, well, I'll read, you know, I'll read the fill verse, filler verses to get to my next thought. So it says in four, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then in verse six, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Um, it was against the law to make, uh, and I'm, I, I can't remember the exact uh, law here, but I believe it was against the law to either, it was either to, to spit on the Sabbath or to make clay on the Sabbath from spit, something like that, right? Like, whatever this was, his actions went against uh, the, the Pharisees' laws. And I'm pointing that out because if you go through the story, you recognize, like, without that kind of key, without that context... It's like, why in the world was he spitting on the ground and then wiping this clay on this guy's eyes? Like, that's kind of disgusting. And then when you understand that it was actually because he was showing, he knew what he was doing. He understood the law and was helping to show the flaws in these new laws that the Pharisees had created, these, like, overly, you know, this excess of rules and and, and things like that. So... Uh, I feel like that context is really important to understand this full story. So then this man is healed, regains his sight. He goes around. Pharisees question him and are asking these things. And then in verse 26, it says, because they're like, you know, what do you think or whatever? And 
uh, they even question his parents, right? And the parents are like, they put it back on him, and they're like, "Hey, he's an he's an adult. He can answer for himself. Like we, you know, we're not getting involved here." So, I'll jump to twenty four first. It says, "Then again, they called the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner.' Talking about Jesus, he answered and said, "Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see." And um, and that's actually the verse I meant, not 26, 25. And I love that. What you know, whether he be a sinner or no, I I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. And I love that this highlights exactly how our testimony forms, right? When we first gain a testimony, if you think back to as far as you can, when did you know? Um, I, I think I've shared this before. I can't actually remember a time where I didn't just have a testimony. From my earliest memories, I was just taught in a way that I had faith in the Savior, faith in my Heavenly Father, and um, just the church was true. The, the book was blue, right? Like, that that was something that I just knew. But when I think about acting on that and growing up and making decisions, going through uh, the choice to go through covenants and make covenants, and why do I keep them? I didn't have all the answers. I still don't have all the answers. There's many times where I'm like, I don't know why we do why we do these things or why we go through these motions. Um, but I am able to go back to and say, you know, hey, I, I don't know this or that. I, I don't know the reasons for for these things. But what I do know is that I have been commanded by the Savior to do it. And he's never led me astray. He has never led me into chaos. He always leads me to peace. And so even if I have to go through trials, even if I have to go through struggles, because he's always carried me to the other side, and I've seen that, and I've developed that um, knowledge, that experience, even as he goes, pushes me through even harder things and harder trials of faith that push me to my brink and it makes me nervous. And I'm like, ah, maybe this is the time that it all fails. Maybe this is the time where it doesn't, that faith doesn't work, right? And he proves that he is there always and that he can carry me through all the, as I see that and gain that experience, I start to learn and gain more knowledge and wisdom to be able to then say, you know, I actually do know that Christ isn't the sinner in this story. I know for sure. There's no question, but our faith had to start somewhere. And this, this man's faith was no different. He had to start somewhere. So I love that this high, this story highlights that journey. Then in section four it says, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Even if you are familiar with sheep and shepherding, reading John 10, where the Savior says, I am the good shepherd, can teach you important truths about him. To find these truths, look for phrases that describe what a good shepherd is like, and then consider how those phrases apply to the Savior. Below are some examples. And um, I actually, it was funny because I didn't really end up picking the verses that it gives, but I did end up uh, highlighting the verses that it then shares in addition. And so that's what I, the, the two verses in particular I wanted to talk about. One is in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might uh, have it more abundantly. This is a principle I want to highlight. Christ enhances upon what we have. He doesn't seek to tear us down or take away. This is this was an important lesson that I learned on my mission as missionaries. I think we need to continue to, to think about it as members, especially as friends, uh, who interact with those not of our faith and those of our faith who maybe we, we have more truth than they have and we're trying to help them on their journey or vice versa. Um, typically, I have seen a, one of the negative approaches in teaching 
is where it's like someone has this belief that is false and we immediately go in and be like, no, 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 no. You've got it wrong. You've, you've completely missed the mark. Way to go. Um, this is the actual truth, right? And what Christ does, especially with honest questions and honest people who are trying to figure it out, and maybe they're not there yet, but they are genuine in their step-by-step faith-filled you know, journey, is he says, let me, let me challenge you to go a little further. I mean, uh, I, I continually go back to this example just for whatever reason. For me, it's one of the easiest. Like the word of wisdom, right? The word of wisdom was given in Doctrine and Covenants, and it says it is for the weakest of all saints, which means there's more. There's more to the word of wisdom than just don't drink coffee, don't drink tea, don't drink alcohol. Like, I don't know. There's more to it. It's a code. It's a health code. Why would the Lord give us a health code? Well, clearly, if you start to ponder it, it means that our physical bodies are important and what we do with our physical bodies are important. So then, as we've been learning through just natural living as well as experts teaching us and and the research that's been done, right? Like sleep. Sleep something that I'm kind of passionate about. Uh, recently, I've been watching a master class about sleep and the benefits of sleep. We take it for granted. And a lot of times people don't think about sleep as being part of your overall health. And yet sleep is one of the number one factors that leads to mental health. Uh, in fact, depression is often cited directly with how much sleep an individual receives. To me, that's huge because I have so many people in my life who struggle with depression. And I always want to ask, well, how much sleep are you getting? Right. And people just kind of, well, it doesn't matter. I get like, you know, six, seven hours. Right. And it's like, you might not be getting enough or you might not be getting a good quality sleep that could actually help your brain, which requires enough sleep and recovery and all these things. That's not cited necessarily in the word of wisdom. Now it is cited in Dr. Covenants, early to bed and early to rise, but we kind of just skip over that and we, we toss it aside. Got a little, sorry, I got a little too excited there, too passionate about this. What I'm getting at is that there's more, but the savior doesn't just like douse us with the fire hose of everything. Cause we wouldn't be able to act upon it. We wouldn't be able to grow and it would discourage us. I know I would be discouraged if I had to immediately start living the perfect word of wisdom code tomorrow, right? The perfect way to, so, um, exercise 90 minutes a day and sleep eight, you know, seven to eight hours, even nine hours a night. And, I uh, have to eat this many proteins and this many fats and this many carbs and this many, right? Like it w- I couldn't do it. I'd get discouraged and I would quit. And I think often that's what we do to our friends who are trying to honestly live in the gospel, right? And we're and trying to act upon the light that they have. And then we kind of discourage them when we're like, well, you're not even close to what I'm living. And then we question why so many people don't want to come back to church or or why they don't come to us when they have problems and it's because of the way that we kind of deliver the gospel so remember that christ is our perfect example he enhances upon what others have what others have he doesn't seek to tear down he doesn't seek to destroy he enhances and he recognizes and and gives someone exactly what they're able to handle in that moment we need to be the same And then in John chapter 10, verse 27, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I said, we'd come back to this verse and I meant it. I have a question. Are we the savior sheep 
or not? Do we hear his voice and do we know him? Do we listen to the Father? Uh, easy test for us is do we listen to the prophet? We just had general conference. Did you listen? Did you hear the prophet? Did you, in faith, receive the words from our prophet and the apostles? There are um, specific members, I guess, um, kind of these Latter-day Saint influencers who every general conference, I notice, will post social media messages about, you know, remember that general conference is a really difficult time for certain people because, and you don't have to agree with everything that you hear. To me, those are like, it's the words of man mingled with scripture. When you hear the prophet, you should feel challenged. Your faith should feel challenged. Because he's trying to, like the Savior is, bring you to a higher place. You're not supposed to stay exactly where you are. That would frustrate the whole plan. The plan is not for us to continue in the same place we are right this moment. We should be better tomorrow than we were today, and on and on, until we're able to return to the uh, presence of the Father. So we should feel challenged. I felt challenged when I listened to the prophet, and he talked about being a peacekeeper. I felt need to repent. I felt humbled. I felt like I was, you know, given a message directly to my soul that challenged how I live day to day. And I hope you did too. I hope that you recognized the voice of God's servant and recognize that it, that he was serving as a mouthpiece for what the Lord would have you hear directly. So when I ask that question again, are we the Savior's sheep? There are some things that we're able to do to know if we can answer that with a with a yes or a no. And it's honestly such an easy question, which is, do you follow the prophet or not? And humorously, do you now smash your water bottle, you know, and flatten that down after you're done drinking it or not? Um, so there's two other verses I kind of just wanted to highlight, and, um, that, and then that's it from the lesson. And I said I wouldn't go off, but I had uh, like nine other scriptures I kind of wanted to talk about. And so I feel like, if it, you know, indulge me with at least just these two. Um, okay, so the first one is in chapter uh, seven. Okay, so it's in ver- uh, chapter 7, verse 39. And I apologize, I have a really loud mouse as I'm trying to scroll through my scriptures. So, it says, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because this Jesus was not yet glorified. This is a question, it's an open-ended question. Was the Holy Ghost on the earth during the Savior's ministry or not? I believe in Jesus the Christ that actually talks about this a little and covers it. And it says that while this, the presence of the Spirit could be felt, the gift of the Holy Ghost was not on the earth because that would come once we get into Acts um, and on the day of uh, Pentecost, right? And then the, the gift of the Holy Ghost is given. But what about the presence of the Holy Ghost? And in, I believe in Jesus the Christ. It talks about how 
the purpose of the Holy Ghost is to testify of the Savior. So the Holy Ghost doesn't need to testify of the Savior if the Savior's there to testify of himself. Which then leads to this question. So was the Holy Ghost on the earth or not? I, no joke, got into an argument in a Sunday school lesson right after my mission um, in a in a singles ward down in Provo uh, with a girl who was like adamant. And this is a dumb, uh, speaking of needing to be a peacekeeper, I sh- probably should have been working on that back then. But I was dumb, 21 and super, and, you know, just off the mission full of the pride of a returned missionary. But I remember getting into this argument in a Sunday school class where uh, this this girl, I think she was a returned sister missionary, said that Peter had the gift of the Holy Ghost when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane with the Savior during the Christ Atonement. And I said, that's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. And I said, that can't be right because he did not receive the gift of the Holy Ghost until the day of Pentecost, which will come in Acts after the Savior was already crucified. Anyway, it was this dumb argument that we got into, and it made a very uncomfortable Sunday school class for everyone else who was like, I just want to move on from this. I don't even remember why we got into it. But I want to ask the question, do you have any uh, con- any wisdom to share with me here? Maybe it doesn't matter. But was the Holy Ghost present on the earth or not? Because this verse brought that question back to my mind. Uh and then uh, I'm debating, I'm debating. No, we're just going to leave it. We're going to leave it. That's uh, that's that's it. There's one more verse. Uh, it's in chapter 8, verse 58. And uh, essentially the verse is that Christ testifies and says, um, I am, it's either like I am that I am or I am who I am or whatever. Uh, I was going to share a fun story that just on the mission, I actually use that verse to um, to help serve as like a kind of a pivotal change for an investigator. And I don't know why that verse mattered to them so much, but they'd actually asked this question about we were going through the, the Bible and they brought this verse up and I was able to help explain that that verse was Christ saying that he is the Christ. And as we jump back into um, Exodus, Christ gave Moses a sign of how they would know that it was the savior. And it was by saying, I am right. Which was, you know, Christ saying, I am this. And so by Christ in John H 58 saying that the Jews, the reason they get so incensed, they, they, they raise stones to try and kill the savior was actually because it was more than just him saying like, I am, it was because he was using it in that fulfillment of the prophecy of Moses, and they knew that, and he knew that. And so they felt like it was blasphemy because they were like, he's not the Christ. Ironically, Christ had given all, to Moses that sign saying, I will identify myself this way. And then Jesus does do that. And the Jews are like, no, no, absolutely not. And now we need to kill him. And so it's, it's just ironic that Christ is the one that gives this sign before he had ever entered mortality. Then Christ comes in mortality and these Jews refuse to accept that it's him who gave the sign to them that he would identify himself in this way. Um, Obviously, uh, the Jews are still waiting for, you know, the Savior to come. And we know that he he has come and that he is risen. And so that that verse is actually more significant because it it was and is a fulfillment of prophecy and as we understand that, we can recognize that, that Christ has spoken and he has come. So 
my invitation to you then is, I've already asked the question, are you Christ's sheep? And do you listen to his servants? I invite you to listen to his servants this week. General conference is out. You're able to listen to it on the Gospel Library. Re-listen specifically to the prophet's address from General Conference about being peacekeepers. And I invite you to listen to that address with the intent of hearing the Savior. Don't listen to the voice of um, our prophet, but listen to him seeking to hear the voice of the Savior. If you listen with pure intent, I promise you that you will indeed hear him and you will feel his spirit, his love, and you will understand the message that he has for you. Thank you for joining my family room discussion. And until we meet again, have a blessed week.